Well, good morning and thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning. Every Monday at 10 o'clock, we have a sit-down chat we call the Roundtable of Justice. And on Mondays, we'll we'll bring in different guests. We'll bring in people with different points of view and predominantly people that understand and work in some capacity in community safety and justice in, in those issues that affect us each and every day in our lives and in this in the province of Saskatchewan. And so on Monday of this week, we had a couple of guests and we talked about a variety of different issues. But one of the issues that we talked about was police shootings. And the reason that I wanted to talk about it is there's recently been a couple of articles, one done by the Canadian Press, one done by the Edmonton Journal, on the number of police shootings in Canada. And, you know, various different people weigh in and provide their perspective. And one of the people that that did that was a criminologist who works for the University of Alberta. I wanted to have him with us on Monday. He wasn't able to. He was had some travel commitments, and he was actually in the air, basically, as we were going to air uh, to talk about this. So I wanted to, you know, each and every time we talk about something, uh, I've said this to you before, I like to try and find some balance in the conversation, and this is no different. And so I'm happy to have today as a guest Dr. Tematope Oriola. He is a professor of criminology at the University of Alberta, president of the Canadian Sociological Association, and joins us from his office in Alberta this morning. Dr. Oriola, thanks for taking the call. Thank you for having me. So a recent article done by the Canadian Press on police shootings in Canada. You were interviewed. There's a few quotes and, and clips in there uh, from you. One of the things that you said is this is a spectacularly unrelenting phenomenon. What did you mean by that? Uh, well, uh, once again, thanks for having me. I am delighted um, to join you. Uh, by that um, statement, I meant uh, what seemed to me as a constellation of shootings across Canada, particularly in, in Alberta, where I live and work. Um, now, that, that particular interview with the Canadian press was at least the third um, consecutive year in which I'd done that end-of-year interview with the Canadian press. And so I had the opportunity over the last several years of, of examining that database um, to see the numbers and not just what, we uh, got printed off uh, uh, afterwards, but the raw numbers that, that I could also play with and look at certain patterns and trends that might not have, in fact, made it to the uh, eventual story because of constraints of space and all of that. Uh, and so uh, it seemed to me that we were going in a direction that was unnecessary. I, I, I totally appreciate that policing is, is an incredibly challenging job, but it seemed to me that we were beginning to have a certain pattern of shootings uh, and it needed to be a change in trajectory. My guest this morning, Dr. Tematope Oriola, who is a professor of criminology at the University of Alberta. So the last line in that article, doctor, your quote sh- it says, we should not be having the sheer volume of shootings that we currently have, and certainly not the degree of fatality that we're seeing. So I I want to break that down a little bit. What are you, the first part of that, we should not be having the sheer volume of shootings that we currently have. Are you, what are you basing that on? How we're responding to the calls? Uh, well, so it's, it's an all of the above uh, issue. So, for example, you would note that in that same article, a police officer was cited and they mentioned um, the thousands of calls uh, that police officers respond to uh, annually and the fact that only a, a small proportion 
uh, of those calls led to the use of any kind of force whatsoever, let alone uh, uh, firearms and, and all of that. Now, what is particularly concerning from my perspective and from available research is increasing deployment uh, of force, particularly shootings or, or deployment of firearms uh, on mentally disturbed individuals. Uh, in other words, these were cases in which officers were uh, called precisely because those individuals were having uh, mental health issues. Uh, and the, the idea had been in this, what usually had been made clear that those individuals seem to be a danger to themselves and to others around them. And so this was not like uh, folks were going in uh, unaware of what was going on with those individuals. But in several of those cases, those individuals still ended up dead. Uh, now, to be fair and balanced, there were cases amongst uh, those numbers where those individuals were brandishing knives uh, at, at officers. And so, of course, especially for those in which we have uh, we have video evidence, because those, those uh, ones took place in public spaces, uh, do uh, officers have uh, the training to be able to disarm uh, individuals who are having mental health issues and are brandishing knives? Uh, or should we simply assume that in cases where uh, mentally unwell individuals brandish knives at officers, we, we may well assume that, well, they, 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 they basically signed their death warrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is certainly the feeling that some family members are having because they called the police to go assist their loved ones whom they knew were a danger to themselves. So, so I think uh, perhaps some clarity on the part of the uh, police services might be necessary. Yeah, I'm not a police officer. I do not claim to be one. I'm an academic. But uh, from a criminological standpoint, what we're seeing, of course, uh, is the increasing uh, deployment of officers to confront uh, what essentially constitute uh, social issues. Where we uh, over-utilizing, over-deploying police officers uh, to issues that are, strictly speaking, not policing problems. Uh, but again, police services have also, well, knowingly or knowingly embraced those uh, uh, calls, embraced those uh, sort of add-on roles, uh, and have been demanding and have been receiving funding for those, for those kinds of issues. So in a way, uh, one may argue that they are owning some of those issues and on, until they begin to uh, push back, I think, to say, look, but we're not psychologists, we're not psychiatrists. Perhaps we're not the best ones to uh, to deploy to these kinds of situations. Dr. Tematope Oriola is my guest this morning, a professor of criminology at the University of Alberta. So uh, Dr. Oriola and I had a, a chat off air. I wanted, I wanted the doctor to know, full disclosure, you're talking to a retired cop, a retired chief of police from the Regina Police Service. And, and, and I feel like that's important because, doctor, your point about how police are responding to these calls and, in, in fact, increasing budgets to respond to them, you're, you're bang on. Right, you're bang on that police are responding to a disproportionate number of social issue calls. And we are often, and I'm not, now, now you're catching me say we, I, I don't work there anymore, but, but, uh, you know, the profession of policing is often not best suited to respond to calls of a person in mental crisis or a person who is suicidal. The challenge becomes, a couple of things. Number one, professionals that are trained aren't available and working at two in the morning. And professionals that are trained with mental illness and, and addictions and those things 
often want the situation de-escalated before they go in. So, you know, I, that that leans into police have this this need or this expectation often to step in there. Uh, I also fully acknowledge that the uniform can be something that is triggering to some people who are in crisis. But mm-hmm. so, you know, having said those things, doctor, you know, where do you see this settling out? Uh, it, it's a fantastic point. Uh, I, I, I couldn't agree more uh, with you on, on all of those things you've just uh, laid out. Uh, now, what, what does need to happen, though, um, is a way to begin to prioritize those skills, those qualifications uh, that do help people uh, to deal with those kinds of, 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 of matters. In other words, uh, just like... Uh, uh, the retired Supreme Court Justice Frank Kobuchi uh, advised the Toronto Police Service at far back in 2014 to prioritize hiring officers with university uh, education from certain disciplinary backgrounds, uh, nursing, social work, and so on and so forth. Uh, as those could then be available, uh, this may well be fully uniformed officers or they could be civilian staff, whatever model or paradigm the police service is comfortable with. The other model that's been used is to partner with uh, civilian uh, NGOs and other organizations um, to have such individuals deployed. So uh, rather than and, you know, an all uh, kind of issue, uh, either or issue, that we have both go, going in, in, in full uh, cooperative, collaborative partnership. Uh, so I believe that can happen. Now, uh, it, the, the issue, of course, with uh, utilizing a crisis is that over time you begin to own it. Uh, despite the funding cuts in most uh, governmental agencies, uh, almost every government department, certainly in Alberta and multiple provinces across Canada, they've all experienced uh, cuts in funding. The one exception almost uh, uh, consistently has been police services. They have somehow managed not just to retain their current levels of funding within the last four or five years have actually grown the levels of funding. And those uh, are growths that they've seen are predicated on those social issues that they're being asked to tackle. So they're not complaining about those, those fundings that have increased, they're demanding more funding off of the back of those issues. But again, we have to admit um, that they're not always the best suited. And personally, I don't think it's fair on officers to ask them to deal with issues that they've not been trained to handle. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, keep in mind, I mean, you know this better than I do, you are a former police chief. Uh, the requirement to enter into policing remains a grade 12 level education, and they typically receive six months and two weeks of training. Uh, now, but with all due respect, to become a barber in the province of Alberta, it takes 18 months to have a certificate to cut people's hair. So the, the training itself is too short. The qualifications to go in, certainly for 21st century policing, are also too low. I have been at the forefront, certainly within Canada, requesting that we raise the bar. And, and Justice Jacobucci, again, that report on how police uh, 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 deal with mentally unwell individuals uh, in Toronto also speaks to the need uh, to raise those uh, standards. Uh, and... But to, to date, I find a degree of um, uh, acceptance of, of, of that, that level of uh, qualification, but it's in trickles. We're not having a critical mass of folks with the kinds of qualifications that are necessary to deal with the matters 
that police officers are being asked to deal with. Again, these are not, strictly speaking, policing problems. These are social problems that our officers are being asked to deal with. So do you think, Doctor, that you're talking about, you know, the qualifications, the education of officers going into the role. Um, do you think that that would have a direct impact on the number of shootings, for example, in Canada? Great question once again. Uh, the research is very clear uh, and incontrovertible. And across national jurisdictions where we have reliable data, uh, police services uh, that are uh, populated by predominantly university-educated uh, officers are less likely to use force. They're less likely to uh, be engaged in excessive use of force and therefore have very, very low incidence of shootings and deaths of civilians. That's not my personal opinion. That The data around that is very clear. Uh, the other variable that matters is also the proportion of, of women, or generally speaking, gender diversity in police services, so that excessively male-centric police services tend to have higher rates of force or in higher rates of excessive use of force, civilian deaths, and so forth. But uh, police services that have relatively robust uh, gender diversity uh, tend to have lower levels. Uh, of reliance on force and instances of excessive use of force. So, so there are these, again, much of this uh, is fairly established knowledge in the criminological literature. Uh, we, we have basic tenets, basic ideas that have been founded, that have been fashioned uh, uh, out from uh, empirical research across national boundaries that I think are useful. Uh, I don't think all of the problems will disappear overnight. I think they will take time. Uh, and for me, change is not an all or nothing mm-hmm. affair. I, I would take gradual change. I would take evolutionary change. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But uh, but we can't simply keep doing the same thing over and over again and, and expect that results will change. Dr. Oriola, I'm, I'm already mad that we didn't schedule you for a longer period of time because I feel like <laughs> I've got so many more things I want to talk to you about. I'm only going to give you 30 seconds for an answer you could take 10 minutes to answer. But in 30 seconds... Do we need to collect race-based data in Canada? Right now, it is hit and miss. It's patchy. It's not consistent across Canada. Is that important in this discussion? It is important, uh, and it's long overdue. Uh, the RCMP, for example, as you know, recently announced a pilot project. Uh, that then puts RCMP in line with its peers globally. Uh, uh, after about 30-plus years, where that had become quite routine in many police services around the world. So I think at the minimum, it will show us the trends, the patterns uh, of police uh, civilian interactions. But uh, above that, it's important what we do with that data. Okay, well, you did pretty good. I didn't think you could keep it to 30, but you did pretty good. <laughs> Dr. Tematope Oriola, thanks for taking the call. We, we need to get you back. There's lots more I'd like to talk about. I, I think it's safe to say you and I maybe see the world a little differently when it comes to policing. However, to add balance to the conversation, it's important that we can chat, and, and uh, I appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you for having me. Dr. Tematope Oriola, the guest this morning, professor of criminology at the University of Alberta on the notion of the number of police shootings uh, in Canada, which, you know, we talk about this, 41 was the number last year, 41 people that were killed as a result of police officers and discharging their, their firearms. 
And, and I point out, and I, I didn't get a chance to get into this with the doctor, but the number well over 1,100 in the United States. So even if you, you figure it out based on per capita, a significant difference and significant difference in philosophy in policing between our two countries as well. But we'll get the doctor on a roundtable of justice and dig into this topic more in the near future. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Still looking at a mountain of text messages from you weighing in on the healthcare discussion we were having. We interviewed and chatted with Nadine Baker this morning, the uh, Saskatchewan woman who is still waiting after months to try and get a mammogram to try and understand whether she's dealing with a breast cancer diagnosis or not. Carol in Briarcrest said, I had a mammogram that was clear six months later, diagnosed with stage four breast cancer that moved to my back. It can happen so fast. We took our money, went to the States for immediate treatment. It was successful. We would have gladly paid for the same care here at home if it was provided in a two-tier system. And that's what this is really turning into. I think, you know, note to myself and Brittany and and those of us that put this show together, we could probably do an hour very easily on the notion of a two-tiered healthcare system and bring in maybe an expert or two or people that work in an area where they have it to determine whether that's a good way for us to to move in terms of the healthcare in our province. Definitely pros and cons, and the techs we're getting are laying that out. All right, well, coming up after 11, we're going to switch gears and we're going to give you a chance to prove that you are, in fact, Saskatchewan's smartest radio listener. A question for you to answer? Maybe it's an easy one today. I feel like it might be, but we'll look and see what you think coming up just after 11 o'clock on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.